Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Stephen and Seth again. Stephen and Seth, how are you guys? Pretty good. How are you? I, I'm I'm not bad. I'm kind of tired of traveling, but I'm 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 good. You you were just in Chicago, yes? Yes, indeed, I was. The, um, <laughs> uh, Chicago's. I have to say, it's a beautiful city. It it's actually reminds me a bit of Ma- Manchester in the UK, in that it's the kind of city that. The, whoever designed it did a really had foresight. They did a really good job in predicting how the city might grow. Um, the avenues are wide. The uh, uh, the 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 way the city is laid out makes sense. Even though Chicago has horrible traffic, just walking mm. through the city, I felt like, oh, this place actually kind of works in a way that I actually feel New York does not. In certain in certain places, so there's that. Okay, uh, yeah, it's I hear that. it's a be- yeah, I think it's a beautiful city in mm. in the summer and <laughs> I mean, six months six months out of the year. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, it's just not a place to be for yeah. anything less than like emperor penguins and polar bears. <laughs> just- That's all. I remember going to Chicago once and I remember just, I was laughing because uh-huh. we were in a car and it was so cold and the heat was blasting and we're roaring down the highway. Uh-huh. And I said, why am I still so cold? And I just laughed. <laughs> I had this maniacal laugh. I was like, I can't understand why we're so fucking cold. You know, it, was, it don't make no <laughs> damn sense. Right. It just didn't, right. but apparently it did. And it does, you know, and I just couldn't deal with it. So there yeah. you are. Uh, so, Stephen, today's uh, today's topic, well, and Seth, but uh, today's topic is uh, toxic masculinity. And uh, Stephen, I know you had some some thoughts or some questions to kind of frame the discussion. So, you want to lead us into that? Sure, sure, absolutely. So, the other night, I was staying. I was actually in Florida. I just got back today, and I was staying with some friends, and I was thinking about um, the ways in which some males think, some men think, and I was thinking about the situation with immigrant families and I was thinking about the way we're being governed. And I was also thinking about a couple of friends of mine who are, are fairly, um, fairly straight ahead. Men do this, women do this kind of thing at the expense of everything else. And then that's when I told sent you and um, you and Seth a text about everything is expendable mm. <laughs> to keep the mask in place mm. when it comes to certain kinds, when it comes to what I define as toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which, which for me is it, it it's a sort of antiquated way of looking at the ways in which gender roles are played out. Um, the assumption of power, one person has power because he is masculine, he's mm-hmm. a male. And I've just been seeing this kind of thing happen in the political scene, but also in families and with friends. And I just go, I'd really love to talk about it with two cis <laughs> heterosexual men mm-hmm. and to see how what you guys think about toxic masculinity, how you define it, um, how you reject it, maybe, um, you know, consider it, you know, and I have a lot of things to say about it, but I just kind of want to get you guys thinking about what, how, how does toxic masculinity, what is it to you guys? Does it exist for you guys? Uh, yeah, for sure. Seth, you want to, uh, I'll let you, <laughs> you go. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. Um, because I actually do have quite a bit to say about this, but I want to start off with just a, a small anecdote. Um, and it's something that I mentioned, I may have mentioned to both you and Stephen before, but I know I've had this conversation recently and I'm blanking on who I had it with, but I talked about what it was like to grow up in the kind of family I grew up in, 
that is in a very sort of straight ahead masculinist kind of Judeo-Christian sprinkled on top kind of um, sense of being a man that I got from mm-hmm. my, my, my Jamaican parents. I'm Jamaican. I was right. born there, but I grew up Jamaican in that way. Um, that if, and if, if people are listening, if you know Jamaican folks, um, working class, middle class Jamaican folks, you know what I'm talking about. Very rigid social roles. Um, but I was lucky in that when I was 16, 17, when I was in college, I met two men uh, who were also in the honors program at Long Island University, Brooklyn campus, Lawrence Harding and Damian Harrington. Um, Damian, who's now goes by Mingus, um, who are still two of my closest friends. And they're both gay men. And I said to someone, ah, now I remember. Uh, yeah, I had an interview with someone in upstate New York a couple of weeks back. And I said, one of the things that I felt deeply, deeply lucky about was that despite that kind of family environment, I learned to quote Mingus about my supple emotional needs by being around these men. They gave me permission to be softer. They gave me permission to be intellectual. They gave me permission not to perform for anyone, to recognize that what I was doing in some instances was performing for people, especially for my father. Um, Because I had those formative relationships with, specifically with gay men, Mm -hmm. I feel like I am blessed to not be unduly burdened. I'm still burdened by it, Mm -hmm. but not unduly burdened by this notion of masculinity that is about, uh, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I will. I will brook no uh, argument. <laughs> I. I. I am an alpha, and I. This is my territory, and you will not encroach on it, or you will feel my wrath. That uh, all of that, yeah. all that bullshit. Like I don't feel the need to perform. I don't mm-hmm. generally don't do it. I mean, of course, there are moments when I. I'm angry, and in moments when I'm territorial, in moments when I am very sort of mm-hmm. declarative about my position, but I do it from a place of moral and intellectual conviction, not from a place of this is what needs to be because I am a man. Word. And I'm grateful Word. for that. Wow. Travis? Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't have nearly as good a story as that. Uh, okay. Because mm-hmm. I don't, I, again, this is so Stephen and I had talked a couple of weeks ago about stories, you know, that we, we tell stories about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I was, I was certainly, uh, I was physically pretty small as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, at some point I hit a growth spurt, but mm. I was, I was a small, small fry, mm-hmm. uh, smaller than most of the kids around me. Mm-hmm. Um, As and, but very much, but, but very much had a dad. My dad was just, um, you know, kind of get back in there and, and, 
and work it out mm-hmm. sort of thing. You mm-hmm. know, if, it, if things were kind of rough and tumble in the neighborhoods that I lived in, which they were sometimes. I mean, it's not like I grew up in like a war zone or something like that, mm-hmm. but there were definitely... I grew up in a fairly aggressive neighborhood um, or a few different aggressive neighborhoods until I was older, um, until we moved uh, into a part of L.A. County when I was a little bit older. But, uh, you know, so I I don't know why um, I also don't really feel the need, as Seth very articulately put it, I don't feel the need to piss uh, the boundaries of my territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean that in, you know, sort of the display of, of you know, pissing on things. Mm-hmm. The things mm-hmm. that I do stand firm on are things that at least I think I arrive at because okay. of intellectual or moral conviction. Of course, undoubtedly there are holes in that mm-hmm. and there are times that I mm-hmm. don't react from that space. And I have to say that raising, you know, having two sons, an older one is 21 now, there were definitely times when my oldest was growing up that I felt a little bit of that sort of simian challenge um, and felt mm-hmm. uh, the impulse to respond um, in more aggressive ways. Mm. You know, like this is this way because I say it is. Mm. Uh, and and okay. of course, and of course, sometimes that happened, but most of the time when it did happen or I would feel that impulse. It would be something I was aware of and something I could back off on or something I could kind of talk through with him. Um, Mm. And so I, I don't, other than, other than feeling like I need to do my best to provide for my family and uh, be upstanding with my friends. Right. I, 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 there are a number Mm. of, of what I would call sort of, uh, virtuous male traits that I definitely I try to embody um, and I try mm-hmm. to own, um, and I think you know to take it into a, a larger context, maybe broaden out the conversation. I think that mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of good stories about men right now. Mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of uh, we yeah. have a lot of bad yeah. stories about men, mm-hmm. and part of what is happening in the country right now is you have a lot of men that are unmoored. From positive yeah. stories of masculinity. Yeah, which is why they're flocking to stupid people like Jordan Peterson, right? That's that's right. So I don't, I don't, I don't okay, feel he's not the stupid. reaction to Jordan. He's not stupid. Yeah, I don't, but he's, yeah, I don't he's, feel that Jordan Peterson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with a number of his positions, at least the ones that I'm aware of. Right. But I don't, I, I take Jordan Peterson at his word mm. that he is uh, actually concerned with sort of the crisis of. Um, social cohesion right now. Yeah. Uh, and maybe his approach isn't mine, but I think he's serious about what he's doing. Okay, fair enough. But so I was thinking both of which, thank you for both for kind of giving me a sensibility, you know, an anecdotal sensibility about masculinity. And I was thinking, so when you, when I was growing up, for example, it occurred to me at around 16 or 17 that everybody, every male and um, teachers, uh, you know, relatives, any random male had a right to sort of tell me to act a certain way. Hmm. You know, sit up straight, mm. don't act like a pussy, mm. man you look up. like you got a little sugar in your ta- mm-hmm. tank, man up. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that even my language was sort of being um, curbed. I remember seeing a dog when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, the dog is cute. And my uncle goes, cute? Cute? 
Mm. And I remember thinking as a kid, I was like maybe six or seven, thinking, mm. what what was the infraction here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a cute dog. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, okay, object, you know, subjectively. Mm-hmm. But it made me made me um he was like, No, 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 girls say cute. Mm-hmm. You ain't a sissy, are you? And I remember thinking, No, I'm not a sissy, but I don't even know what that is. Right. It's just something that wasn't so I was thinking about that sort of regulation and what I consider to be a sort of toxic sense masculinity that I'm sure if my father had heard these men say this to me, he would have agreed with them. Yes. Yeah. And he would have confirmed that because he was also trying at home. The homeboy training was similar to the training outside in the community. I wanted to know a little bit about your growing up because I know, Travis, you kind of touched on it. And um, I do agree with you. We don't have a lot of great stories right now about men, Um, at least not any transformative ones, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, so my, so so my mom, Steph and I joke about this all the time. You probably like my, my mom is like tough as shit too. Like my mom is very Mm. much like get up off your ass and get back in there kind of thing too. So I, (laughs) but that's also my mom. Like that's not, Mm -hmm. so for me, I see those, I see resiliency and toughness Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. universal desirable human traits. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't map that onto gender. At all, like I really like at a mm. at a base no, emotional level, I don't do that. That's not something I had to untrain. Like I just, I am for that kind of resiliency across the board, uh, mm. and not in the like you're a pussy kind of way. That's shaming, right? That's not that that that's right. that's right. not at all you're what talking- I'm talking about. Um, no, I completely get it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's always and it, I was uh, I'm, just to wrap and up. It was always yeah. It, just to mm-hmm. just to, to wrap up, uh, you know, you had brought up the you know obviously there's some issues around that with homosexuality in the place that you grew up. To me, it always I always and again this is an emotional response, not a psychological. So I I want to be clear that I didn't arrive at this through some sort of intellectual parsing. Okay, but. Like, I just do not map where you want to put your dick into, like, like ha- that has anything to do with masculinity. Like, that just has nothing to do with it for me, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at a, like, really, like, gut level. Like, it just doesn't register for me as, even though I understand that clearly it's tightly imbricated with masculinity in the West. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm just, like, I'm, it's like... What does that have to do with anything? Like, I just don't get it. Go ahead, Stephen. You, no, you're, you're going to say something. I, so, the, so what I was going to say was earlier, I'm so glad you made that distinction, though, mm-hmm. Travis. So glad you made that distinction because I don't think it is even about sexuality. I think it's about power. I think mm. it's about being able to shape someone else's world based on your assumptions of the way it should be or the way you think it should be. And it can be backed up by religion. It can be backed up by politics and all these other things. Mm-hmm. But I think the stakes are higher for people who are non-heterosexual. That's all I will say. Because I think yeah. that even everyone's performing something, you mm. know. Um, yes. RuPaul mm. said everything is drag. And mm. I remember him yeah. saying it. And I thought that was really funny because I was thinking, yeah, that it just decentralizes this idea that there's one or two ways to be in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, but yeah, go ahead, tra- tra- um, Seth. I just wanted to say that. I thought, well, thank you for that, Travis. Uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things, too, that I, I'm... And I'm pleasantly reminded of when I listen to Travis speak is, and, and, and okay, I, I, can, I, I can say this because we're friends, slightly annoyed by too. <laughs> You're <laughs> safe. Is the way You're that safe. he will couch things that he's asserting 
with a, 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 some caveats, with some provisos. Like you'll say, like, you know, clearly, like, this mm-hmm. doesn't always happen for me, la, la, la. And the thing is, what I like about that is it reminds me to do that. Because I think what I did when I presented mm-hmm. the story I did a few minutes ago, it made me sound like I just sort of, like, sort of burst out of these, these formative relationships with, with Lawrence and Mingus into this, like, full-blown, mm-hmm. like, fully realized, like, uh, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, can, I can be anybody I want to be kind of thing, right? Like right, that. right. And, it's, and I, right. of course, it mm-hmm. was not like that. Like, I struggled during my 20s and my 30s. I mean, I'm 47 now, mm-hmm. and it's literally in the last few years, and I think this has something to do with my professional growth as well, where I felt like... Mm-hmm. I can actually say what I want to almost anyone in the world. Like, almost. Not everyone, but mm-hmm. almost, right? Okay, so that's okay. a preface. But um, I want to also say, um, vis-a-vis the kind of clarity that, that Travis has reminded me I need to have, that there was this moment when a, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Fareed Matuk, actually, he's the person who mm-hmm. introduced uh, Travis and I to each other, um, he and I were going somewhere. This is back when I lived in um, in California, in Long Beach. And Travis, uh, rather, mm-hmm. Fareed and I used to hang out. And we were going somewhere. And I think he was driving, and I was making fun of something he did. I was just lightly <laughs> teasing him about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was something like, something along the lines of, oh, yeah, that was real manly. And he said, and this is the perfect response. He said, he said, I don't have to perform, bitch, I don't have to perform masculinity for you. And I was like, yes, (laughs) yes, exactly. You do not. And the fact that he recognized that was deeply meaningful to me. I'm like, yes, I need to be able to say that to people. Like football players in every single high school in the United States need to be empowered to be able to say that to their fellow players, their coaches, their parents, their prince, whoever. They need to be able to say, bitch, I don't need to perform masculinity for you. Nope. Because they should not have to. <laughs> they should not have to. But in lieu of that, I've often wondered, what do you have? Because femininity is the other side of it, where I think that there are so many different ways possibly that we could be and be, you know, have masculine qualities that aren't destructive, aren't self-destructive. Like for me, right. so I mean, mm-hmm. no, sorry, sorry, uh, sorry, Stephen, I, I interrupted you, but I, I, I just desperate to say, you know, I think part of what happens with the culture around, and I think it's right to call it the culture, the culture around date rape is about yeah. performing masculinity oh, yeah. for other men. It's not oh. even about the woman. It's not even yeah. about her. It's about oh, what do my yeah. fellas think if I, you know, this whole thing of like basketball players like going to hotel rooms with groupies mm-hmm. or with prostitutes they have they hire and having the, yo let my boys hit that what right. the f- where does that come from like what, what else would <laughs> toxic except toxic masculinity which in lieu what would be there in in lieu of that because if we if we're hating on women or we're hating femininity or we or we are disgusted by it except for when we want it to be something we can consume what's there Right. What could be there in place of toxic right. masculinity? Because we have we have enforces for centuries a certain kind of male personality. We we love him. We want him to go out in the world and conquer everything. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yes. Yes. So yes. I so I feel, I I suspect that 
what we're calling toxic masculinity and, or sort of the, the hyper performance of, of stereotypical male traits. Mm. I suspect that I suspect that it has always been an outlier and that most men throughout time have sort of scuttled around muddling uh, about mm-hmm. with whatever social identities that they are supposed to have or not have. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think you see that in like the history of comedy. I think you see that in the history of, mm. um, you know, I, I, it reminds me of uh, like, so mm-hmm. in Hesiod's works and days, it's like one of the very first books like ever written. Right. Mm. It's all, it's, it's, it's about how <laughs> people have to scurry when an Eagle swoops up out of the sky. Now the Eagle is Zeus right nominally in the poem, but it's really not, it's the King, mm. right? Mm. It's, and so this, it's always been a minor. I would I would suggest that it's always mm-hmm. been a minority of of men and women, right? Mm-hmm. That perform in such a mm-hmm. um, exaggerated manner, mm-hmm. and that and that I, I I'm not convinced that most men are actually not more like yeah. what we are talking mm-hmm. about. Like, I've seen it in my dad, for sure. No, no. Um, I love it when you talk about your dad, by the way. I'm sorry, you should always talk about your dad every like single episode because he, he sounds like somebody I would have really liked. Um, I apologize. <laughs> I was just thinking about... <laughs> I just wanted to say it's this, true. though. It's, it's so true. For me, it's true, the performance yeah. of the people who do it and maybe those hyper-masculine people and the talks. But then there are the people who co-sign through silence. So I do think that there are a majority of people who do that. Yes. And yeah. so Thank I'd you. love for you to true. kind of think about that, but also kind of come back yeah. at me Thank with you. your Travis way of coming back at people. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I witnessed that way. Yeah, I know. Yes. I know that way. That's where he reaches for the big old heavy book. Hold on. Yes. He's like, yeah. hi, nigga. Wait, wait. Hold on. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you both You're completely judo whatever <laughs> response I could possibly make. <laughs> no, but you know what I want to say? Actually, I want to push back on, on what Travis has said, too. I, I want, And I'm following up on Stephen's point. I think so you have people co-signing through the silence, right? And you have people mm-hmm. co-signing through sort of their verbal encouragement, right? Twitter being a great example of that, right? The, the kind of... Uh, uh, dumpster fire that 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 certain memes become, but also I want to say that I think yes. certain kinds of masculinity yes. become institutionalized by organi- things like organized sports. So right there, right, like the only reason that Agent Orange was able to get away with saying mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, grabbing by the pussies only locker room talk, is because we have some sense. That what goes on in football locker rooms and basketball Absolutely. locker rooms and, and hockey locker rooms, la la la, locker, locker rooms, locker rooms, locker rooms, actually is not far from that. So there's a way in which I think that kind of masculinity, the hyper, hyper, the hyper sort of masculinity you're talking about, Travis, mm-hmm. does get institutionalized. And I think that's how it kind of spread. And yeah, I think there are lots of men who are really uncomfortable with constantly mm-hmm. having to mm-hmm. prove Absolutely. themselves to the, to each other. Like <sighs> it's, it's just it's exhausting being like you y'all got to know that. I mean, I think it's maybe slightly. And I'd like to hear what you have to say about this, Stephen. Whether it's slightly different being around gay men, because one of the things I found as a straight man being around gay men is that. It actually turns down mm. the volume on that. I don't constantly feel met, gay men at least, constantly like pushing up on me and saying, oh, you know, are you, you know, are you man enough? Are you man enough to actually be in this space with me? Like, at least I don't get that from gay men. 
Mm-hmm. Well, no, what I get from it is because mm. it's a we'll start with the performance, and we're also talking about the hyper masculinization mm. of gay culture in recent terms of you know, mm. men do the you know, so yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Also, <laughs> there's also so the hyper masculinity part of it is not simply just pushing up on people, it's also the repression of an actual emotional life, <laughs> you know. Thank you. That's so. I think that so can you can you just like put a little flesh on that like tell me what that looks like well what it looks like um so it's kind of like my dating life and I actually implicate <laughs> myself in it as well okay. and being able to tell a particular kind of truth and right. not just be like well I'm interested in this person because I'm horny and I'm bored and lonely as opposed right. to really be interested in someone's emotional life and be willing and open enough to share mine do you know mm, so mm. is that enough flesh because mm, Travis, yeah, Travis yeah, hasn't yeah. answered us yet, so we need to. We gotta talk yeah, to you. no, no, no. I'm, I'm actually, I'm just, I'm just listening. I, <laughs> I am, I'm, I'm not jumping in because I, um, I worry a little bit that I see. I don't really feel what Seth is describing when I interact with most of my cis male okay. friends. Like, I don't really feel, I don't really feel like my masculinity is regularly uh tested or sort of sonar mm-hmm, to see mm-hmm. like kind of where it's located um most of my interactions with my and and maybe this is because i've cultivated friendships like that and have weeded out people that are not like that so that's i'm not saying that somehow my experience is representative of all my oh no i didn't get that mm-hmm. uh, but you know I, I i played i played little league baseball you know when i was a kid you know, up until high school mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't really remember a lot of like, oh, I could knock that pussy out of the park talk. Like, right. I don't really. I mean, I'm not saying that never happened, right. but I'm saying that that I, I sometimes I worry. Right. And I, I think you both know this concern. I worry that our narratives around these kind of hot button issues mm-hmm. distort distort the severity of them. Not that the things that we're talking about aren't real, not that. You know, not that we didn't just have the election that we had and not that I distrust statistics that show that examples uh, or that that instances of uh, misogyny and discrimination are up. I believe all that stuff. Right. I absolutely do. But my experience of of human beings Mm -hmm. in in most interactions that I have Mm -hmm. are much more temperate and much more sort of. You know, like trying to figure out how to, you know, like where to go to get in line to buy something and like who's next in mm-hmm. line. And I re- like we were just at the zoo and the line was like super messy. It was kind of unclear where you got in the line, but everyone was just sort of checking with each other. Like, oh, like, oh, were you next? Oh, like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. go ahead kind of thing. Like, I didn't really feel like this sort of like war of all against all to like get, you know, I. I and so I worry sometimes that that as cultural critics, which we all are, and I and, and I take and I take that charge seriously, mm-hmm. I worry that we are painting the world with the brush of other people who have extreme positions that we reject. So I can, uh, so Stephen, let me please respond to that because you, you again. I love Travis that you again, do this again. That was irritating. No, 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 no. I love, I love that you did this because you're absolutely right about this. There are two things I need to say. One is that I was in in making the case that I was making. I was flashing on my particular uh, uh, um, uh, experience in high school. Mm-hmm. And my high school was weird. 
Um, it was a Christian school. It was very, very small. Um, I just think it was weird. Mm. Uh, and, I, and, I, and, and I think you're right. I think mostly what I'm going on is, the mo- is as I remember the worst experiences, right? I remember the ones, I'm, I'm flashing on the ones where, 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 where men were constantly sort of like pushing up on me and, and mm. testing me. And that happened because, partly because I also, um, and, and this, is, this is part of my experience as well, working in retail, cutthroat retail at Hugo Boss and then at Armani in, in, um, Mm -hmm. uh, those are environments in which it's very sort of like sharp elbows. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so that's, you're absolutely right. It's, it's very true that in certain environments that we just kind of try to find a happy medium so that we can get along. It is not all warfare. You're absolutely right about that. I am, I tend to talk about these things thinking about the worst case scenarios. And I think part of it too is the weekend I've had. I, um, um, uh, uh, I, I just just got published this piece I wrote for Hyperallergic on the show at the Addison Gallery of American Art called Gun Country. Mm-hmm. So I've mm. been thinking about how that exhibition dredges up a lot of um, these issues that are related to masculinity, power, white mm-hmm, settler mm-hmm. ideology, patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All, all of that is in the gun, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... You're right. You're absolutely right. I think that there are narratives that bypass all of that. Actually, one of them is um, one or, or a good narrative about men. One of them is actually Friday Night Lights about football. I mean, oh, it's absolutely. a gorgeous yeah. narrative. Mm-hmm. Absolutely gorgeous, yeah. and and it makes the point that, and this is a great thing about Friday Night Lights. It makes the point that you can have a father figure like a coach who actually his primary, his primary objective, and the thing that he's actually really good at is nurturing boys, like nurturing them, bringing mm-hmm. out the mm-hmm. best in them, providing an environment in which they can blossom. That's an amazing narrative. So you're mm-hmm. right, Travis. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It does happen. No, absolutely. And so I agree with you, Seth, about agreeing with Travis what I'd like, Travis, what you do, and also what I think I'd like to do more of is to hold space for other realities. Yeah. When I come out yeah. and when I was thinking about toxic masculinity, it's just a yeah. um, a lovely, both a lovely weekend and a horrible weekend for news. And so watching certain kinds of men come on television mm. and talk and talk and lie and, and, mm. and skirt the truth. And then there's this sort of what I've been thinking a lot is about betrayal. Betrayal mm-hmm. of one's own constituency as a politician, betrayal of your own feelings as just as a person. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about like w- the elements of that, you know, what causes that. So the men, as I mentioned in my neighborhood, of course there were men who didn't do that, you know, that right. I knew. Of course there were boys that right. were different and didn't right. follow the, uh, you know, aggressive, got to fight, pussy, pussy, pussy kind of thing. Absolutely, right. those men were there. And there needs to be a space to be held for them because I appreciate the multi-narrative strategy in which I think we're trying to talk about some of these issues. So thank you for that note. I will definitely keep it because it's something you brought up more than a few times Mm. in terms Uh, of that. But I definitely just want to make sure that we acknowledge a certain kind of toxic masculinity that's Mm. not even discussed. It's like the sky. It's there Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. weather comes. Mm -hmm. And then when bad weather comes and we're talking about it. But Mm -hmm. overall, we just see it as the sky. We just see it as normalized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fair. And I also think my experience is clearly, um, I I have a fairly 
uh, resilient bubble surrounding me, right? I'm, I'm hetero and white and male. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to allow me to interact more graciously with people or not feel encroached upon, mm-hmm. right? Because that my sort of like baseline identity mm-hmm. isn't, isn't, isn't trying to be colonized. It is the colonized space, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I, there's a kind of comfort that I can have in that which would clearly not be Seth's experience, clearly wouldn't be your experience. Mm-hmm. So obviously there would be more instances of that. And I would, and the only thing I'd want to add to that is specifically something that Seth brought up, which I, 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 I and we can, we should may, maybe do a podcast. So I literally think one of the best things we could do in America is totally abolish same grade education. Amen. I think putting, I think putting like 14 to 18 year olds together in concentrated measures through high school is just is a catastrophe mm-hmm. for development mm-hmm. it doesn't at all, at all reflect human interaction mm-hmm. you're constantly interacting with people of all ages mm-hmm. and then we have this like weird sort of fetishizing of high school and that kind of period of adolescence and um if i if i could get if i could just change in one sweep one aspect mm. of of uh, american education and culture it would be this this cordoning off of age groups in that way because mm. uh, i know seth's experience was awful and terrible in high school mm. um and i most honestly most people that i love had terrible experiences in high school because mm-hmm. because it kind of forces you to like you know to recalibrate and adjust to to other people's misery mm. wow no mm. that's <laughs> Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. On a later podcast, I'd love to talk to you about the colonized space that you occupy, this resilient bubble you were talking about. We should definitely yeah. talk about that. Yes. Okay, all yes. Right. White, white space, white space on the next podcast. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Doing a whole episode on that. So I think we should, on that note, uh, uh, if I may be so bold as to say, let's end the podcast here. Um, Absolutely. I think I think it's a hopeful one, and I and I think it's a well-rounded mm-hmm. one. And I and I thank you, Stephen, for bringing this to our attention and to mm-hmm. our public's attention. Um, this is this goes this is at the heart of who we are, and we always need to be talking about it. Um, and frankly, I'm just glad that I have the job that I have. We actually get to talk to men and women who are willing. Mm-hmm. And able to grapple with this. Oh, so nice. Yeah. Fantastic. Seth and Steven, thanks very much. Thank you very much, Travis. Thank you, thank you Seth. Thank you. Um, you guys have a wonderful day. Okay, you too.